Hello, guys, and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, Stories of Bering Sea and Beyond. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. And today we have Joe, Joe Schmitz, the captain of the Royal Viking, also known as Shitty Schmitty. So, Joe, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm excellent. Doing great. Excellent. I've been trying to get you on for the last few weeks. It's uh, in shipyard and a little busy. Yeah, we've been pretty busy. Schedules aren't working out. But today they are. They are. Yeah. They are. Uh, so let's just start at the beginning. Uh, where were you born and, and where were you raised? I was uh, born in Tillamook, Oregon. Uh, my family's from Astoria. My dad was actually putting a highway in. I was born down in uh, Tillamook County. Uh, Astoria is a coastal town in Oregon, right on the border of the Columbia River. Uh, when I was a kid, it was a big salmon town and tuna town and fishing, just in general, shrimp. Bottom fish. Grew up there and uh, started high school. Went to high school there and uh, met Nick Malahoski there. Me and Nick used to terrorize the town on our skateboards and among other things. Nick Nick's now the co-captain of the Arcturus. Correct. Okay. Uh, at the time, his parents owned three boats, three a uh, couple draggers and a shrimper. Uh, we used to offload those. I used to offload boats with Nick. Me and him would cut school and go offload a boat uh, while we were in high school. And uh, that's when I decided that's what I wanted to do. My uncle was a gill netter on the Columbia River the whole time I was a kid and fishing salmon. And then he also had a couple of Bristol Bay permits. He'd go up there sometimes. I never went to Bristol Bay with him. But uh, I did go gill netting with him a few times on the Columbia. But early on, I knew when I grew up, I wanted to be a fisherman. It's just that was which, kind of which experience, which which one was the one that made you think that was it for you? Um, mostly working with Nick on the bigger boats on the on his dad's draggers. Just we we would do shipyard stuff, help out fiberglass paint, offloading the boats. I seen what kind of money I was getting for just offloading, and. Uh, at the time, I mean, that was phenomenal compared to what minimum wage was. What year was that? Oh, that would be around 1978. Okay. And uh, after uh, high school, I ended up down in California. And shortly after, uh, I ended up back up in Astoria, and I started working on some coast boats. Did a little dragon, uh, some pot fishing. and. Uh, didn't really like it off the coast. What was the first boat you were actually on as a crew member? Uh, the first crew member I was on was a boat called the Lucky Seven out of Astoria. And what was she? It was at the time we were pot fishing. Or? Um, at the time we were fishing rockfish, and then we ended up doing slime meals. And uh, the boat ended up leaving to go to San Francisco, and I said, I'm not going. And I worked on a dragger there, the Marionette, and for a friend of mine that it, uh, I worked with some people I went to school with. And then I decided uh, I wanted to go to Alaska because a bunch of my friends were going. And I ended up uh, signed up with Deep Sea Fisheries to go on the Alaska Mist, which is a factory longliner. And I came up here to Seattle to work at Shipyard on it over here at Boss. Bill Maxwell, who runs the Dolphin, was the captain at the time. And uh, 
we had the boat like within a week of ready to go. And one of the crewmen had stole a bunch of stuff from the supplies we were loading on, sea store stuff, got fired, went out, got drunk, came back to the boat. And uh, me and the cook were sleeping on the boat at the time. And he poured 15 gallons of gas on the factory deck and lit the boat on fire. Oh. Yeah. I barely got off it. It was a uh, cook. was a big guy. Climbed out of a porthole about uh, probably a 12-inch porthole. Just squeezed out. He squeezed out. I don't know how he did it. I had to wrap a wet like blanket. Like toothpaste coming out of the... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. He got out, though. It's amazing what a uh, little fire will do. Yeah, w- wanting to live. So with. did you burn all the way there? Uh, it gutted the whole boat. I barely got off. I had to soak a blanket in the toilet and uh, run down the passageway to get out the door and fire. And uh, I got off the boat. Everything I had, all my gear was gone. Uh, the boat was gutted. Now it's, in, it's in dry dock, so it's totally out of the water. Uh, no, we were in the water. Oh. Uh, it, it already come out of dry dock, and we were just doing the finishing touches up on it. Ready to leave. Yeah. We were loading groceries and sea store stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so they ended up setting me up on uh, the Aleutian Falcon. And I didn't want to go on there because it was just a crab processor. I wanted to go fishing. And But they said, well, that's where I, all we got for you at the moment. So that's where you're going. You want to stay working. Well, I had no other options. That's why I went. And I worked on there for about a month and a half. And uh, they pulled into Accutan to the Trident dock, and they were escorting people off the boat. They wouldn't let you off the boat because they knew you'd find another job back then. There was plenty of them. You could walk the docks and just get, especially if you were a young guy, you could get it scooped up right just away. the 80s then? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, while they were escorting people up to use the payphone at the Trident plant in Accutan, I climbed down the stern line and went down to the bar and was hitting the crabbers that just offloaded it to us for a job. <laughs> and they said, well, we don't have nothing, but uh, you go to Dutch Harbor, you're going to find a job. And I said, okay. And uh, about that time, the foreman walked in, caught me in the bar, me and another deckhand fired us. I won't, I won't tell the whole story. Some things people just, well, he walked up, poked me in the chest and I dropped him. So I got fired and uh, the superintendent didn't want to fire me because he goes, you're the best guy I got. I said, well, because I got to, though. So he ended up putting, he goes, I got to fly you to Seattle. We can't leave you in Dutch Harbor or Accutan or Dutch Harbor, so Alaska. So I said, well, I just want a one-way ticket to Dutch. I don't want a ticket to Seattle. And he says, are you sure? You know, He says, you got to sign paper saying. I said, oh, yeah, I'll sign anything. I'm going to Dutch Harbor. So me and my friend that got fired with me, we flew to Dutch Harbor, started walking the docks. And uh, in less than three hours, I had five different jobs to choose from. At the time, I had a couple crabbers wanted to scoop me up, and I wanted to get on a dragger. And I ended up at a, uh, a factory trawler. And one of my friends from high school was on the factory trawler. and uh, they were looking for people and I wanted to go with my friend. So I said, well, I talked to the captain and he says, yeah, I'll hire you right now. He says, but I said, well, I want to go on deck. And he says, well, you're not going to start on deck here. He says, I'll tell you what. He says, you do one contract for me 
in in the factory. He said, I guarantee I'll put you on the deck if you come back. I said, okay, that sounds like a fair deal. Well, it turned out the same company that just fired me four hours before sure. that. And back then they didn't have cell phones or nothing. <laughs> so we get out and we're heading to Accutan from Dutch Harbor. And he sends a telex and they send him back a message saying, you can't hire this guy. We just fired him five, six hours ago. He says, I need bodies. He showed up. He's on my boat. Well, I ended up working on that boat for four years. Uh, I did one contract running a Pollock machine. And then uh, I went home and I worked for that captain. I, I never left that captain. Uh, I went home and then he hired me back. I came back up like two weeks later and he put me right on the deck. And I uh, started out as a combi. Uh, I did combi for about a month. Before they made me a full deckhand. Explain combi just so. A combi is a combination processor deckhand. You're basically a deckhand in training. And uh, I did really well. I picked up nets like it was nothing. Uh, after a month, I was able to do everything a deckhand could. I could sew net. I could splice wire, splice everything. You're still known for that today. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still pretty sharp with it. But uh, I just picked it up real easy. And then uh, he ended up uh, making me a full deckhand. I finished that contract, went home for a month, came back, and they put me on as deck boss. And I stayed deck boss on that boat for a couple of years. And uh, then one day that captain came to me. He said he was, ended up becoming one of my best friends. What's and his name? Carrie Anderson. Yeah, uh, he recently passed away last year, but uh, just a we were like family from then. And uh, a couple of years after I was on that boat, he was talking about going on back on a catcher boat, wanted to know if I'd go with him. And so I said, Sure, absolutely, I'm sticking with you. And uh, we ended up going on a 110 foot dragger and we were working out of Dutch Harbor. Which one was that? Uh, Tracy Ann. And we were doing shoreside deliveries then, codfish mostly, fishing out way out west, ADAC, that area. And then uh, we ended up doing joint venture with it, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I stayed on that boat a couple of years. Why, why was joint venture a lot of fun? Joint venture, you didn't have to put any fish in the hole. You just drug the bag behind you and handed yeah. it off. Yeah. You, uh, you, you would hand it off. We were actually fishing for uh, Golden Alaska at the time. And, uh, She's sitting right there. Yeah. We were uh, fishing for them and delivering to them. And I love that. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a, a lateral pass, right? Yeah. You just come alongside yeah. and 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 essentially they, throw lines and they Well, what they do is or... they'll trail they'll trail a bag and we motor up beside them. We grab the bag with a hook, run it through the trawl wrench, wind it up, and then we hook the bag up to that line. And then uh, send the full bag of fish to them. And then they would send us an empty bag and we'd zip it on and go fishing again. It was great. It was, we were cod fishing, so it was all daylight fishery. And we'd just catch enough in the day to keep that factory trawler working all night long. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It didn't touch shore a lot doing that. No, no. We'd come into fuel. At the time, we did hit shore a lot. And that's how I ended up in the engine. Uh, I'd never really wanted to go in the engine room or be a chief. And we kept having 
minor breakdowns what I thought at the time. And we went to Dutch one time too many for something stupid that I thought. And uh, I went out to the elbow room and got a little smashed. Came back to the boat, called my chief, everything in the book that you shouldn't. Told him he couldn't fix his way out of a wet paper sack. And then I went and passed out. And the captain woke me up the next morning and I said, way to go, jerk. He said, you got the chief upset and he quit this morning and caught a plane to Seattle. So he said, well, and I said, well, who are we going to get for a chief? He says, you're going to do it. <laughs> I said, you started I said, this mess. You're yeah. going to fix it. I said, I don't know nothing about the engine room. And he said, well, you're going to learn. So I ended up in the engine room. And I go, well, do I get a raise? He said, no. He said, you still get your deck rate that you were getting. But I ran the whole deck. And uh, is this the same skipper? Yeah. So, so I he, up, he knew you were capable. It oh, wasn't yeah. like, yeah. yeah, well, he started teaching me the engine room and showing me how to do stuff. And uh, uh, we ended up, uh, or, well, he ended up going in for back surgery and he ended up retiring fishing almost at that time he wasn't all the way done yet but he quit and i stayed on the boat and worked for another guy who was just an awesome fisherman Dave Wood. Uh, phenomenal fisherman and me and him hit it off really good and um we we ended up fishing in alaska and off the coast of washington we did a lot of we started fishing off the coast of washington with that same boat at that at that point and uh shortly after that you know after a few months of that probably about six months uh carrie had recovered from his surgery and came back and told me hey man i got a deal if you're interested uh i've got a boat to take down it was a 58 footer long liner to take down to california and the guy's got another boat down there and he says, uh, you come with me, get this boat ready. He says, you'll get the boat when we go down there, and I'll run the other one. And so I, I took it. And uh, we went down to San Diego, and we, we had a long line fishery going down there, which was pretty awesome. Because, I mean, I went from March in Alaska to 78-degree weather in the springtime. Shorts. And <laughs> yeah. And I'm running the boat. It was an easy job. Uh, we had a fresh market deliver every day. So we'd come in in the evening, we'd park the boats right downtown San Diego, right in the, on the board. Oh, that sounds like trouble. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was having a ball. Well, you were still young then. Yeah, right? I, mean, I was, I was pretty young and, uh, yeah, it was paradise. And then the guy started talking about sending his boats to South America and I was going to go. And uh, I got my passport, and then he uh, had. Uh, I decided at the last minute to go, and uh, so I didn't. And uh, it's a good thing I didn't because I heard that the boats went down there and ended up in Nicaragua and got seized, and it was just a big shit show. Yeah, did Kerry go or? Uh, he was going to go, too, and he, he backed out, too. So he probably backed out because he backed out. No, I I had backed out prior. Okay. I'd already made up my mind. I really didn't want to go down there. And uh, then he ended up backing out shortly after. I ended up on a boat tendering the next summer up in uh, southeast. 
just for something to do. Uh, my dad was passing away at the time, so uh, he was sick, and uh, I didn't want to be gone too long. So I ended up staying home with him, and then uh, I did the summer tendering gig, and then stayed home and worked in uh, through the winter at the shore plant there where I live. And then uh, shortly after that, I uh, ended up back down in California and started my uh, uh, got me got a CDL, started driving truck, and then uh, did that for a couple of years. Moved back to Astoria. And bought my own truck, started my trucking company where I was hauling seafood up and down 101. I just couldn't get away from fish. Mm. It's You're a fishy motherfucker. Well, <laughs> one way or another, I'm always messing with fish. Yeah. And uh, catching it, hauling it, yeah. processing it. Well, actually, that was pretty lucrative for a few years. And uh, I did really well at it. Had quite a few trucks. Um did pretty good. And then as times changed, you know, we ended up uh, just the industry kind of took a dive. Fuel prices went through the roof. Uh, I ended up just me and my truck bought my own trailer and I was still hauling seafood. I'd haul different stuff from Oregon down to California and I'd pick up shrimp and uh, frozen seafood down there. There's a lot of stuff that comes from overseas and bring it back to Oregon. But it, uh, anyway, that all, I did that quite a while and then it all just kind of fell through and I was sitting at home ended up losing my license because a couple brewskis a couple brewskis hit a deer one night and that's all it took and I was sitting at home doing nothing and Nick had seen me on Facebook and asked what what are you doing and I said well uh sitting at home doing nothing right now and he goes well, you want to come back up here to Alaska I said well hell yeah so he goes, oh, I'll make a phone call. So he ended up calling Christian and Christian. Christian AC. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Nick called me back. So, yeah, Christian's waiting for you to call. So I called him. He says, yeah, here's Sonova's number. And uh, I want you to call her right now. So I called her and she goes, yeah, I got a boat. I can put you on in about a week. You know, if you can pass the drug test and all that. I said, okay. Isn't that amazing how it changes that quick? Yeah. You know. And then she called me the next day and she goes, have you ever cheaped? I go, yeah, that's what I've did my almost my whole career and she goes well good i need you to leave tomorrow <laughs> maybe i want a job and now i got an airplane ticket <laughs> yeah so i ended up up in bristol bay for a summer and then uh, on one of the tenders yeah chiefing well okay. i was on uh, the far west leader great boat yeah it is a good boat excellent platform. And greg is a great captain i liked him um i ended up going back home take care of all my legal issues after the end of the season and then uh I needed, uh, I wanted to find something to do up for Trident at the time. And, uh, Greg ended up taking me up on a pot cod trip. They, we did one trip and we're rigging for Opie's. And then he, uh, they were all going to go home because of the weather. And I just got there. I didn't want to spend the airfare. They said, well, hey, we can find something for you to be an end fleet. So they ended up, uh, Christian goes, yeah, I got a place to put him right now. And they flew me to Kodiak. And they, when they had just bought the Hazel Lorraine. Now the Arctic Ram. Which is now the Arctic Ram. Yeah. Yes. And Christian had told me when I got on there, he says, uh, don't be sad when you see it. Which should have been my first warning. And. Uh, see, Scott Gillian was the captain then. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Gilliland. G- Gilliland. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that boat was in rough shape. It was in extremely rough shape. When I showed up, I looked at the boat and I thought, God, I thought I did a good job for these guys. <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> and uh, the crew was somewhat kind of hostile because I was from Trident. They were a brand. Yeah. We had just and, bought that. Yeah. Boat. And they were all worried. I keep saying, wait, Trident had just bought that boat. Trident had just purchased the boat, and they hadn't even went out yet since Trident had bought it. The platform was solid, though. Yeah. I mean, it was... It was a good fishing boat. I mean, it was... It, it had been road hard, put away wet. Um, the, the previous owner had just, you know, he knew he was going to get out. He let things go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny it was, you use the analogy of uh, put uh, road hard and put away wet, because... Trident is kind of like that company that, that rides them hard, but they bring them back into the stable and brush them off. You know what yeah. I mean? They brush them off and, and, and tuck them in. Right. I mean, it was a good, solid boat. I never felt unsafe. Um, when I first got there, the crew was like kind of hostile. They're like, oh, God, the, the company spy guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, which was, you know, no, that's not why I'm here. I mean, I wanted to get on a dragon. That's what I've done. Mostly, you know, popping on most of my life. It sounded like when you were in the 80s, you wanted it. That was your first thing was wanting to get the dragon. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and after I worked on the factory trawler, I was shooting for the wheelhouse. So how long how long were you in the on the Hazel Lorraine before they sponsored her and changed uh, her name? We fished it for a little over a year. When I first got on it with that winter, we actually had pulled it out of the water. and They did the survey on it. And. They ended up starting the Pacific Ram first, and so they were going to put us off. Now she was she was a Blue Fox. No, that's no, that's Northern, Northern Ram. That's Northern, Northern Ram. Ram. Yes. Okay. So uh, we ended up fishing uh, a, a little over a year on the on, as the Hazel Lorraine, and it was a good solid boat. I did I did well on it. I made some money on it. And, uh, other than you know, it was a battle fixing things and stuff. Uh, just dealing with the shape the boat was in. Um, it didn't have a lot of capacity, so it took a lot of trips to make any money. Mm-hmm. But What was she holding then? 170000 And uh But, you know, there was a lot of Kodiak fishing, so it was not that far to go so, out. Well, and they have a cap, too, right? I mean, well, granted, 170 was not a cap, but yeah. Kodiak does have a cap. Yes, they have a 300000 cap. <laughs> so... <clears throat> When when she was sponsored, she was brought up to be able to carry what? Uh, over three hundred. It Which was actually perfect Kodiak. Up, yeah, it was set up the when, when we first sponsored it. We said it was we we, we could put three sixty. So to to describe what a sponsor is, it's it's widening the boat. Yes. Um, not lengthening it, just widening the boat. Yeah. So they actually, I think they pushed off what four or five feet either side. Yeah. Well, that boat they actually went farther down. It uh, they lengthened it like seven or eight feet, and basically they cut the bow. That's and right, the they cut the stern off, off too. Yes. Yeah, they built a whole new stern for it. I was there for the whole shipyard. That was at Vigor down in, uh, in Tacoma. Tacoma. Yeah, yeah, we were in shipyard there roughly nine months. I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was a big job, but it was it was you know it was it was a good deal. So they came out of there though with uh, lengthening it and sponsoring and widening it. and widening it. And did not do anything to the house. So no, she was, it was like the original house. She was like the big, big girl now. Yeah. With a small head. 
Like right. a little tiny head. Yeah. And sitting in that wheelhouse, you you couldn't really see over the bow. You couldn't see anything. Yeah. I mean, if I was driving it, I'd feel like I needed somebody up there to tell me where I was going. <laughs> Pretty much. It was, it, that's exactly how it was. It was uh, it was so wide, you couldn't even see the dock when you're coming up beside it. It was hard. To, Since then, they put that beautiful house oh, on it. I mean, absolutely gorgeous. At the time, though, it was a big improvement. Uh, we ended up over tank, and we had to cut, come back to shipyard after the first season. And you had a lot of water on the deck. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was just over tank. Explain but, over tank. Uh, over tank was we were holding way too much fish. For the stability of the boat, it was just it didn't have enough flotation, so we reduced the tankage on the side tanks, and that cured the problem. And uh, a stable, the, you've never been on a more stable, good riding boat, though. It, uh, we never tied down, secured our coffee pot. It was right in the center of the boat, and to this day, I'll bet it's not. I remember when it, when it she first got back and was the work was done. Yeah. Uh, Scott was still running the boat. And he came out here right next to the gale, you know, because he was waiting for the bridge to open. And he just did donuts here and yeah. like came within five feet and just the control of that boat was yeah. so. Yeah. Well, the boat has an articulated rudder and it's extremely, I mean, you can sit there and spin a 360 in one spot with it. Much like a tugboat. Yeah. You know, it was, it was amazing what you could do with it after that for as wide as it was. Uh, no, a great boat. So yeah. we, we've got you up to the point now where you're on the Arctic ramp. Yeah. But before we get into the uh, skippering on the Royal Viking, which is a very pristine and well-known and historical boat for, right. in this industry, um, I want to I want to bring you back to uh, starting in the 78, uh, working the docks. And the first time you were scared, the first time you were scared. I really was never, never been scared. Still, really? Because I can yeah. I can tell you a pucker moment without even. Yeah, I never really had. You know, I take that back. When I was throwing that fifty-eight footer, and me and my skipper were going California. We were transiting to California, and we had some thermostats go out in the engine room. I said, "Hey, man, we got to fix this." And uh, so we were going into San Francisco at night. We had no local area charts, and so we were just going to follow somebody in. And uh, that was the first time I ever seen Carrie scared. And that kind of worried because, I mean, me and him, we we brought boats across the Gulf together, just me and him alone. And we've been in big storms. I was never scared. Yeah. And uh, but when I see him turn around and say, we're in a pickle now, <laughs> we ended up coming across Potato Patch Shoals, which is a pretty famous spot down there. Um, coming into San Francisco, they they call it that because the old boats would hit that, and they'd roll over and lose their cargo of potatoes, and it, that's why they that's why they called it potato patch shoals. And we, we didn't have a chart, so we're just hey, I think he went that way, <laughs> and let's go. And we're trying to get into the bay, and uh, caught it at the wrong tide, and uh, I think in between the swells we were scraping bottom, and. Uh, so I seeing him scared made you. Seeing him scared worried me because he turned around. I remember, I'll never forget. He turned around, and looked at me, and he goes, "Smitty, we're in a pickle now." <laughs> and when I said, I never heard him say that. Before. <laughs> well, we were the two guys that would be drinking espresso when everybody else was down in their bunks going, oh. <laughs> "I, 
I got to call you out on this, though. I, I know you've been scared. I, I know. Well, probably not as much as others, because I actually heard once you took a hook in the face and like just got beat the hell up and was still working on the deck. Yeah. Actually, I think I have a picture of it. Yeah. Yeah. That happened on the yard. That's that is that was just one of those things. Just one. Of, yeah. Now, give you guys a little background on Joe. Uh, he's a biker. Yeah. He's a member of a club. Not a, not a bad club guy. So at yeah. least not the junior yeah. club, <laughs> but, uh, uh, long hair. Yeah. Tattoos all over. Yeah. He'll probably whoop somebody's ass. In yeah. a minute. But, no, a, but a huge, really. huge heart. Yeah. So where do we go from there? I mean, I don't even know what to talk about next. Well, cause you, you don't got any scary stories for me. I know you were scared. I got some funny stories. Well, we'll, we'll get into funny in a minute, but real quick, I want to talk about fa the false pass. Okay. You took uh, the Royal Viking. Right. Uh, which was a – let's talk about that. How did you become captain of the Royal Viking? Okay. Well, I'd been on the Arctic Ram, and I was just tired of being on deck. And I didn't, I didn't mind being in the engine room. I was chief on the Arctic Ram at that point. And uh, – uh, I was fishing with Tony, and I love I love Tony. We uh, Tony Kennedy. He uh, me and him got along real well, and uh, guy's awesome fisherman. And I was making money, but I was just tired of being cold. I'm, all, I'm getting old, and I didn't want to be on deck anymore. And I told Christian before Tony had even got the boat, I'm only got to fish on this boat here, and then I'm gonna do something else. And uh, so Christian. You know, uh, I reminded him of that before we got to that point. He goes, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a chef. I want to go cook on the Arcturus for uh, the uh, charter. For the charter. You know, it had like nine scientists on there and the crew. And I thought, that, I mean, I'd be happy doing nothing but making up grub for everybody. And I'm pretty good at it. So I had plenty of references. Tony was one of them. And uh, so Christian said, you got it. And uh, so my time came up where I, I finished the season that winter and uh, went home in April or no. Yeah, it was it was. I'd went home right before April and uh, the season was over and it was getting close to summer. So I called Christian up and I said, well, when do I need to come up and start doing purchasing for this gig for the summer? And he says, Joe, I don't know how to tell you this. He says, but uh, this is the first time in like 20 years. We didn't get the charter. We didn't get the charter. He goes, I don't know what to do, but what to tell you, you quit your job. And and uh, and the funny thing is, I had done that charter before Trident got it. And uh, Trident had actually called me back then. In, uh, it was in the early 90s. And they had just got it for the first time. And they, they were going to hire me because the people from NIMPS liked me so much, they wanted me on the boat. And so Trident was going to hire me because, and I had turned him down at the time because I was doing other things at the time. But uh, Nick had called me and said, yeah, they Trident would like to hire you right now. This is their first year of this charter. And the head guy of NIMS had said, we want this guy on your boat if you can get it. And I knew the whole program. I knew the whole gig. So they had called me because they wanted someone that had done it before, and I turned them down. But anyway, you know, so I was bummed out because I thought, man, that would just – and I, I wanted to work with Nick. Me and Nick 
were high school buddies. Skateboarders. Yeah, yeah, we were just best friends when we were in school. And so I was kind of disappointed. And he goes, well, Christian had asked me, he goes, well, is there anything else you want to do? And I said, well, summer's coming. Don't you need a chief somewhere? And he goes, yeah. As a matter of fact, I, I got a perfect place for you. And at the time, Harold had just got sick. Or he had been sick. Big Harold Myrold. Big Harold Myrold. And so they needed someone that could run the engine room. And they were putting Jeff Boddington on there as captain for that season. Of the Royal Viking. Of the Royal Viking. And so they hired me as chief for that. So, I mean, I had just got home two weeks prior. And I was actually up here on my uh, anniversary with my wife when he offered me the spot. And I went and looked at the boat. Oh, yeah, this would be great. She's a beautiful boat. Yeah, it's a beautiful boat. It's a 108 Marco. I love it. And, you know, so, it's kind some, of funny. Someone argue it's 109, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny because a couple of years prior to that, I was on the Hazel Lorraine. I think it was still the Hazel then. And I was in Kodiak fishing, and I seen the boat go by, and I went, man, that is so pretty. I wouldn't mind being on that boat. She's a pretty boat. Yeah. And uh, so I jumped at the chance for that. I go, heck, yeah, that will be a good way to spend the summer. And uh, I ended up really enjoying myself. And I thought, this is perfect. It's the amount of time that I want to work. We ended up working really late. A month into the season, Jeff Boddington went to the Sovereignty, and they put Tom on there as captain. And uh, Tom was a good guy. He was a good friend. Tom. Yeah. What's his last name? Oh, we got to look it up. LaPointe. Oh, that's right. Tom LaPointe. Tom LaPointe. And me and Tom hit it off really good. And Tom had went to Alaska the same year I did from the East Coast, 1988. And he had been in the, he used to run a big drag there. And uh, just a great guy. So now he's doing his retirement gig running the. Well, no, they actually, Westward had shut his boat down and is sitting over there by Pack Fish right now. And they retired that boat. And so the, he just didn't have a boat to go to. And so Trident scooped him up, put him on the Southern Wind because he had a big license. Well, then they ended up moving him to Royal Viking because Jeff was going to the Sovereignty. And uh, so they had Tom finish the summer on the Royal Viking. And I chief for him. And then we ended up going back to Kodiak at the end of the season, salmon season. And they put us to work doing cod. We ended up not even getting home till. The middle of October or the end of October, which uh, <laughs> was everything I didn't want to do. I only <laughs> want to work four or five hey. months a year now. You know, it's, it's a I could do what my wife's got a decent job. You got a motorcycle to ride. Yeah, <laughs> I want to be home now. And uh, anyway, we, we did that gig with Tom and then uh, we ended up staying home. And then he calls me up in February and says they want the boat up there right now. to do cod. They want to fly us up. And you go, I say, heck yeah, let's go. And uh, so we all ended up going up and doing COD in February up into March. And uh, we finished that. Uh, it was about seven-week season. And then uh, we all went home. And I really liked the boat. I liked the crew. And I liked Tom. I mean, we, it, was just, it, was, it was just a place made in heaven. For me. I was, it was the amount of time I wanted. I was making decent money. Not working too much. And uh, and then uh, we went up the next summer and started our salmon season. And Tom was on the boat for one month. 
we had just got to Prince William Sound a couple of days before that. We had been working at Kodiak, and then uh, I was down in the engine room. I talked to him. I went down in the engine room and uh, do whatever I was doing in the engine room, which I'm always down. So yeah, I got an alarm, and uh, I walked up. And I go, I'm down here. There's nothing wrong. And I walked up and I looked at my board and there's nothing lit up on my board. And then it dawned on me. The only other thing that could set that alarm off is the watch alarm. And uh, I went out the engine room door and me and Big Steve met right there at the door. Started heading up the stairs. And we went up the stairs and found Tom on the floor. And he had had an apparent heart attack. Or something like that. And... uh we got him stretched out, started CPR. I took over the boat, started calling the Coast Guard. And uh, by then, the other crew had got up, and uh, they were working on him. And I took the boat in, made the stress call, talked to the Coast Guard. And we were kind of right in the middle between, <coughs> kind of halfway between uh, Cordova and Valdez. So they were coming out of Valdez, so I headed for Valdez. and. Uh, we worked on him all the way until the Coast Guard got, they came out with a fast boat, put a, put a medic on board, and uh, they worked on him for another half hour and pronounced him dead, So, which was pretty devastating to me. He was a good friend. Um, I talked to him 10 minutes before that. and uh, So we're sitting at the dock at Valdez, and they got Tom off the boat. And, uh, well, called. now. You, you guys, the Coast Guard offered to take him off the boat, but you guys said you're going to keep him. Is that no, right? no, or, no, no. They had us. Worked on him in. all the way in. Yeah, they worked on him for about a half hour, and they had me keep heading towards Valdez, and they followed us with a little fast boat. Mm-hmm. And then after about a half hour, they just said, this isn't doing it. He's gone. So I went ahead and took him to the dock in Valdez, and we got him off the boat, and Harley was there. Uh, Steve Davidson, and he says, I really need this boat to work tomorrow. Can you run it? Said, well, it's not up to me. That's kind of up to Christian. Christian called me a half hour later and says, do you want the job? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Why what, a, what a terrible way to get it. Yeah. I mean, Let's see, the, especially sad thing friend, was, you know? the sad thing was they had told me they found a place for Tom. They were going to give me the boat anyway. You know, Sam had told me and John. Oh, when they found a place for him. Yeah, because yeah. he had a big license and he was a trawler. That's yeah, what they, he wanted they were, were going to put him on the next big thing. Yeah, he wanted to go fishing. And uh, that was just a spot for him to be until they got a spot for him. Mm-hmm. And so I was pretty bummed out about it, though, because he was my friend. And uh, next day, I started running the boat. And been doing it since. Been doing it ever since. Uh, I'm on my fourth year now. And uh, I love the boat. It's a, it's a fucking amazing yeah, boat. It is an amazing boat. It, 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 it it's great. Yeah, it's we're, a. We're we're getting pressed for time here. Okay. So, uh, one thing I want to know before we go is what would you suggest for young guys trying to get in? I mean, they can't go to Dutch in three hours and get five job no, offers anymore. No, young guys with no experience uh, coming into the tender fleet is pretty simple, and. Like, I've sent a few guys off my boat already to the catcher fleet. If I get a guy, a young guy, that's 
the right kind of person for that job. And if they're showing the ambition to learn, I'm I'm willing to teach them anything. And I've sent like three different didn't, people. Didn't you work with Zach on teaching him yeah. net? Teaching yeah. him how to uh, repair nets? Oh, I, I showed him how to sew. I showed him how to splice. There's not so much sewing anymore with the midwater gear. Not like the old days with the bottom gear. Bottom gear, you were just sewing constantly. I mean, it was just about every set you were going to fix something. Uh, nowadays, there's more, it leans more towards the midwater fishery where there's less. And, you know, just the way the nets are designed now, there's a lot less sewing. It's a. Uh, but guys that can repair nets are valuable. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, all the skills that go along with that, it's not just sewing web. It's, uh, you know, putting bars in, knowing, knowing how to identify that and uh, identify what part it is and what, what's messed up with it is a big part of it um you know simple stuff benzoline you still do that that's everywhere yeah, google uh you guys google uh a pollock net a pollock net coming up on board and you'll see like what appears to be a thousand different lines yeah. and different colors and different streamers and different right but these guys on deck can identify what each part of that is yeah exactly as it's coming up and when you first look at it, you're going to be very confused because there's. It does appear to be. Yeah, like it looks like a lines. lot of yarn going out. <laughs> yeah, and you're, just, you're just there. So the suggestion is Tenderfleet. It's a really good start too because it it's is summer. A good start. It's calmer. Yeah. You're not in really heavy seas unless yeah. you're in the Nosh. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you're. You're. It's pretty. A, a yeah. pretty controlled environment. Yeah. It's a. If if they can make it do a good job on a tender and they you know they get used to the idea of being out on the water, not hitting the beach not being able to go out and do what they want being gone from home that long uh so like my seasons usually last at least 60 or more days usually up to 90 and uh just getting used to the lifestyle and if they can handle that and handle being out on the open water no internet no facebook no exactly you know exactly and, uh, and it, it, you know, I've, I've, I've had lots of guys, oh, I want to go crabbing. I want to go dragging. I want to get on a fishing boat. But when I say, hey, man, I'm going to be splicing some wine today, who wants to learn? And they don't want to come up and learn. I'd rather watch a TV movie or go down and play grab ass on the deck. Well, you don't really want to go fishing, do you? But the guys that do, like Zach, I knew I wanted to keep him the day I got him on there. We were in Kodiak and we went down to Southside. And it was crappy it was, for a summer. It was just a crappy day. And I'm looking out my camera, and I see him on deck, and he's out there just arfing away. And uh, I walk down to check on him and tell him, you know, hey, stay away from the rails. And I go, how you doing, man? Oh, pretty sick. I said, well, you know, what I always did when I was young, and I'd get sick, which I never did get sick in my whole life. I said, I'd dance a jig. Get used to the motion of the boat. And I walked up to my pilot house and I'm sitting there watching him in the camera and he starts dancing a jig. And I go, I'm keeping that guy. He'll do anything to he, stay here. He's that guy. He's, he's that, that guy. guy. He will do whatever he's told yeah, to do. No, he's a great kid, man. I, I, I love that kid. We're, we're, we're definitely out of time at this yeah. point. But before we go, I will extend this episode a little bit if you give me one wild story from Dutch Harper in the early 70s or 80s. <laughs> You got one. Oh. Anybody that's been on this show has got one. You got one. I've got a million of them, but none of them are really wild. 
I mean, just the way things were back then, it was a different world. Well, let's talk about that. How are the way things were back then? Well, back then, you know, the turnover was so great, especially on the factory trawlers. Uh, it was a brutal world. They would go out and recruit people from Midwestern towns that never seen a lake. From Nebraska. Then. Yeah. And they put them on these boats telling them they're going to get rich. And they forget to tell them that it's 16 hour shifts, seven days a week. Uh, you're going to be, you know, in cold, cold miserable, miserable. The boat's moving. You're going to be seasick. Uh, I used to like getting people seasick. I used to, when I was young, I used to think it was funny as hell to watch somebody harfing. I had one guy get on the boat, and he was about four foot six. And I swear to God, he was bigger around than he was tall. And he's wearing a set of $400 snakeskin cowboy boots. So I asked him when he come up in the galley, I said, you ever been on a boat before? And he says, yeah, I rode across Lake Washington once. <laughs> cool. You're going to fit right in here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we headed out uh, from Dutch to go do our trip. Our trips were averaging about 20, 24 days then for that boat. And uh, we headed out. And he, uh, he started feeling a little woozy. And I told him, I said, the worst thing you can do is go to your room. He went anyway. So I did what I always did when we get new guys. I took a big green cigar that I had, big cheap one. Oh, no. I walked no. down to his room, and I cracked his door open, and I lit it up and started blowing cigar smoke in his room. And I stood there by the door listening, and I heard this, oh, well, two other guys come walking by. What are you doing? Like, All right, take this out. You know, this is pretty funny. And uh, we threw the door open. He's got one of them snakeskin Tony Llama boots, and he's filling it. <laughs> So from that day on, his nickname was Tony Llama. Nice. Yeah. So we had that. This little fat guy ended up doing his whole ninety because then contracts were ninety days. It was brutal. By the end of ninety days, you were beat. Mm -hmm. And he did his whole ninety day contract. And I never thought he'd make it a week. My my first contract in ninety two yeah. was ninety days. Yeah. And it was it was rough. It was rough. And the funniest thing was was that. Uh, after he got his boat name, which was Tony Llama, uh, he, uh, he he finishes his contract. He's going to Dutch Harbor Airport to get a plane home. And uh, he goes in to check in, and, and uh, they don't have a ticket for him. He goes, well, what do you mean? You know, I'm supposed to have a Put ticket. Put it down as Tony Llama? Yeah, the captain didn't know his name wasn't Tony Llama because that's what everybody <laughs> called him. <laughs> <laughs> there was a reservation for Tony Lowe. This little guy ended up going home for like a month. He came back for another season and did it again. Nice. I mean, that was the funniest thing back then. You never knew who was going to make it. Well, I tell you. Yeah. Right, we're, we're way over time at this point. But before we go, I'm going to encourage everybody to eat wild Alaska seafood. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's I live on it. Catch it wild. Yeah. Uh, wild Pollock is becoming a big thing. Pollock course. is good fish, man. Yeah. It's a. Uh, I actually, it's like a young cod. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I keep it in my freezer all the time. I I actually buy the Trident Ultimate Fish Sticks. My grandkids eat them every day. I can make those. My wife eats them. And she's picky. She's I, not. I, a, I'm going to say Trident's not paying us for this. No. But, but the Alaska Wild Fish Sticks. Oh, they're you can, the best. You can literally microwave them. Yeah. And they're still crispy. Oh, yeah.
I make fish sandwiches. Uh, John Sally, if you're listening, you owe me some money for that one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. This has been another installment of Galley Stories. Joe, do you have anything to say before we finish this up? No, just keep doing what I'm doing, man. I'm I'm where I want to be right now, and I'm going to stay on this boat till they carry me off. That's that's my retirement. Yeah. Well, you got big shoes to fill. I mean, Harold. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, again, another installment of Galley Stories. Uh, reach out to us at mark at galleystories.net or just galleystories at gmail.com. Uh, any questions, comments, suggestions, or offers for money? That'd be great. We will t- we'll talk to you guys later. And again, it's been Galley Stories. I'm your host, Mark Kaler. We'll see you next time.